My name's Kyle Harmon. Uh, I'm the worship pastor here at uh, Pine Lake Covenant. It's so good to be here with you this morning, and I, I guess it's it's fitting that I'm I'm preaching this message because we're in this sermon series called The Power to Change. If you haven't heard like Pastor Becca's message at the beginning or Nancy last week or Mark, they're so good. Please go back and listen. Amazing. But what I'm going to preach on today is actually about the the power to change our worship. So. The power to change our worship. Ooh, nice job, Mark. I see that. Mark's, Mark's got it back there. So you might be wondering, hey, what's what's wrong with our worship, right? Like, our worship, it's pretty good. Like, we sing hymns, right? For for some people, we sing new songs. We got drums. Dave, awesome job. Woo, let's go, Dave. Right? But they're electronic, so people don't get mad at the sound person, Arvid. So that's great, right? We're doing good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, give Arvid a hand. Okay, what's, but what's the problem with our worship, really, Kyle? So, it's a great question, and for me, it starts with how we define worship. So, that, we've got to start with, like, the definition. So, don't worry, I just wrote my thesis on this a couple years ago, and it's a, I'm not going to do the whole thesis. Just calm down. I promise, we will leave relatively on time. But, I'm going to give you a little bit of Professor Kyle to start out with here. And uh, this is how I define worship and how I kind of came up with that. Worship is a posture that orients glory to God. Okay. Interesting, right? We'll start with that. So worship is a posture that orients glory to God. So a couple things about this is that worship is not just singing, right? It's not just music. It's not just what we do on this stage. It's a posture, meaning an active thing, right? It's not just passive. We have to choose to do it, and it brings glory to God. So this means that whatever we do can be worship if if we're trying to glorify God, right? So we could worship gardening. We could worship having our morning coffee. I know I do. You could worship playing sports, right? And that's and that's part part of why we do what we do in church is to fulfill our commandments to worship God. So God tells us in Psalm 100, he says, "Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness, come before him with joyful songs, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Man, I love that scripture. Woo, it's good, right? That's a that's a that's a warm fuzzy scripture, right? There's some warm fuzzies like yes, amen. Like let's go. So we're commanded and exhorted to glorify God. And worship is that posture that we take to orient glory to God. So let's start with that. And even even in Hebrews 10.25, right, we're commanded not to forsake the gathering of ourselves together. We're supposed to come and we're supposed to do this together. We're supposed to sing songs like it says. And uh, our worship is called a pleasing aroma to the Lord that rises up like the incense from the offerings. So there you go. There's some Professor Kyle. Um, so we're, we're told many times in scripture to worship together. And, and so I, I, what I don't want you to hear right now is that Pastor Kyle says we don't have to come to church. <laughs> Pastor Kyle says we can worship doing whatever. So I'm going to crack this Miller light. I'm going to flip on the Seahawks and amen. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. Hear me right now. We're, we're called to worship together. But more importantly, God wants our worship, right? And in this space. But our worship is much bigger than just what happens in this room. Okay, hear that. Our worship is much bigger than just what happens in this room. So, 
back to the question. What's the problem with our worship, right? And what, why do we need the power to change our worship? Well, I think there's a, there's a passage in the book of Amos that talks a lot about this. So I talked about a warm, fuzzy scripture. This is not that scripture, okay? Don't, don't get your heart ready for this one to be warm and fuzzy. This is a tough one. So let's read this together. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it. Don't worry. You don't have to read along. Just, you know, just sit there and, and weep, whatever you need. It's hard. But it says, Amos 5.21 to 24. I hate, ooh, there's a tough word right there. We go. I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings that are supposed to be pleasing to God, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice, uh, bring your choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Charlotte's not here, so we're okay. <laughs> Charlotte's watching this online. We love you and your harp. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Okay, like I said, this is not warm and fuzzy. So let's pray. Let's just let's pray for a second and see what God has to say about this. God, well, would you just... Would you help us to understand, Lord, what Amos was saying to your, the Israelites, God, and what, and what you have for us today in this scripture, how this applies to us, God, and help us not to harden our hearts, God, but to hear exactly what you have for us and this church and Pine Lake Covenant. In Jesus' name, amen. So, back to the not fuzzy scripture. We hear in Amos and through Amos that God is not happy with the Israelites' worship, right? To put it mildly. God hates their festivals. Take away from me the noise of your songs. Woo! I, I, that's fighting words, right? I don't want anybody to say that to me about my worship leading. Like, Kyle, I hate your worship. Take away from me the noise of whatever song you're playing this Sunday. And be like, cool, I'm going to go. <laughs> it's been good. But, um, but like, what does this tell us, this passage, about the connection between our worship and our lives and the power to change it. And I think, I think we have to understand a little bit about who Amos is talking to and where Amos is coming from. So in this passage, Amos is speaking to Israel, right? And we are what, at this point in the Israel history, we're in what's called the divided kingdom, okay? So we got up in the top there, the blue is the kingdom of Israel, and then that like pinky salmon-y color. Somebody can correct me. My wife will correct me on whatever color that is. The kingdom of Judah, right? That's the divided kingdom of Israel, and Amos, Amos, he's this shepherd, right? He refuses to be called a prophet. He won't even be called a prophet. He's a shepherd. And he's from this little town called Tekoa, which is actually not even a city. It's outside of the hills in Bethlehem. So Amos is from Judea. And Judea is way, way more poor than Israel at this point. We hear in Amos that, that Israel has houses made of hewn stone, like stone mansions, right? And they have vineyards. They're, Israel's rich, but Judea is not. So he's this, you know, Amos is this like backwater, like guy coming to talk to them. He's not a prophet. He's a shepherd. And in chapter one, though, he does this really clever thing. And he, he does this really smart thing, and he repeats this theme over again. And it's, he says, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, the Lord will not revoke the punishment. Right? So he starts out with that and, and, and he prophesies judgment on Damascus. And so you could see people like they're in the town square and they're just like, yeah, okay, I'm into this. I'm going to listen to this guy. He's proclaiming judgment on Damascus. I can, I can do that. And then he says for three transgressions of Gaza and for four. And he's like, keeps going and for Tyre and Edom and the Ammonites, right? 
And like I said, you could just imagine the Israelites. They're like, wait, I could, I could, I could get down with that because for us, in our, in our perspective, these were their enemies. These were like the Israelites' sworn enemies. So just kind of kidding, but not. We'd, we'd be like, for three sins of Yakima, and for four, right? <laughs> like imagine Pastor Mark is up in the Sammamish Commons. And he starts talking. He's like, Yakima. People are like, yeah, yeah. Who likes Yakima? What are they? They're not Palm Springs. Who are they kidding? Right? And then the next one, they're like, Mark's like, for three sins of Ellensburg. And for four, and people are like, yes, I hate that traffic. I have hated that traffic for 15 years. I'm tired of Ellensburg. Amen, Mark. But then Amos takes it further, and he says, for three sins of Judah and for four. Ooh, okay. Now that's good, right? Now the Israelites, they're stoked. They want to hear this message. They hate Judah. They're down with this, right? And for us, like, there's this, there's this little game that's happening next week. Don't worry about it. Just like, forget it. Come to church. Something's happening. I don't know. There's this team playing, and they, they wear red. Actually, both teams wear red, and I don't like either team. But for us up here, this would be like Mark saying, and for three sins of the 49ers fans, and for four, and people are just like, yes! Right? Or for Josh, it's like, three sins of LSU. I see you, Josh, my Southerners. Right? So now they're, they're stoked. They're just in. They're with this shepherd boy. And then all of a sudden, then he says, in verse 6, chapter 2, he says, for three sins of Israel, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. And you, you could just hear the record scratch, right? The pin drop. Like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> wait, we were talking about Ellensburg and Yakima, but did you, are you talking about Sammamish, Amos, Mark? Okay, Mark, you're good. This isn't Mark. Mark doesn't do this. But then Amos spends the next seven chapters prophesying about the doom and gloom of Israel and how Assyria will just come and wipe them off the face of the earth and take them away. Why, well, you know, I think people were probably in for like a couple minutes there, and I don't, I don't think anybody was left <laughs> at the end of seven chapters. You know, they were probably not super stoked with, uh, with Amos. But I think it's important for us to understand from this passage, like, why was God upset at Israel? Why, why was he upset about their, about their, their worship? And so we see in chapter five, verse four, this is where, this is where Amos gets down to it. He says, seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel, and do not enter Gilgal or cross over into Beersheba. Now, again, these are just words to us as English speakers. These were translated from Hebrew, brought down from 6,000 years ago plus. Like, we, what does this mean, Kyle? But what it means is these were actually the locations of the Hebrew temples. Bethel and Gilgal and Beersheba, right? And so... So for the Israelites who were commanded in scripture to make faithful pilgrimage once, at least once a year to go worship God, this shepherd is saying, okay, seek God and live, worship God, but don't seek God at the temple. What? Right? Hold up. What are you talking about? So for us, again, back, back to our context, Mark is finishing his, his uh, diatribe in the Sammamish Commons, and he says, seek God and live, but don't seek God in the sanctuary or the boathouse. Or anywhere near Pine Lake Covenant. Okay. Pretty confusing, right? And we see, we see again, in chapter 4, people were faithfully worshiping. They were following the letter of the religious law. They were worshiping God, offering sacrifices, paying for all of that. Again, what's God's problem with their worship? Well, Amos finally lands the plane, and he comes, chapter 5, verse 11, and he says, Therefore, because you trample on the poor... And take from them levies of grain. 
You have built houses of hewn stone, stone mansions in some translations. But you shall not live in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. Mm. There it is. God's problem that he's speaking to the Israelites through Amos is not their worship. It's not how they do worship. Nope. God's problem with us isn't how we're doing worship this morning. That's not his problem. But God's problem with the Israelites is that their worship does not match up with their lives. God's problem is that they trample on the poor and make money off the disenfranchised. God's problem is that they lie, cheat, and steal in the courts to get ahead. And then they go to worship God like that's totally fine, right? God's problem is that they don't welcome the foreigners they're commanded to in Scripture. God's problem with the Israelites is precisely that they're worshiping him by the letter of the law and then their lives are not caring for the marginalized, the poor, and the oppressed. That's God's problem. Wow, right? Okay. Yeah, so you see, what this passage shows us is that how we live and how we worship are inextricably connected. How we live and how we worship are connected. Amen? Right? Hey, I'm a group of Pentecostal church. I need some amens in here. This is good. Amen, right? We can't just ignore the people experiencing homelessness, drive past them on the edge of the freeway, pretend they don't exist, dehumanize them, and come to church. We can't just dehumanize the people who are different than us or who disagree with us or who look different than us and come to church. And that's okay with God. It's not. Come ask a question. Does any of this sound a little familiar, church? Does any of this maybe sound a little bit like the American church today that Amos is talking to, right? I think so. I, I think it I think it does. And I, I, I don't think this is totally us, Pine Lake Covenant. Don't, don't hear me saying like, oh man, we're the worst of the worst. We're the scum of the earth. I'm not saying that. But if you feel convicted right now, that's okay. I'm okay with that because so do I when I read Amos. I'm a worship pastor. <laughs> did I drive past a homeless person this morning on the way here? Yeah, I did. Did I do anything about that? No. Do I feel convicted? Yeah, I do. And I think that's okay. I think that's what the Spirit wants right now. But like I said, I don't think this is totally us, but I feel convicted partially because Becca and I, we passed our our ordination interviews two weeks ago. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, church. Thank you for your support with that. I was so grateful. But um, part, part of that process is that we are getting ordained in the Evangelical Covenant Church, right? And so I'm flying home. Uh, with, with Becca on like last Saturday or something. And the gate agent and I, we're having this great talk, great discussion. And he's loving it. We're, we're cracking jokes. And he finally says, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm, I'm a pastor. And he's like, oh, with what denomination? And I'm just like, ah, why did he have to ask that? Shoot. Right? Because I said, I'm like, well, maybe I could just not say it. Maybe I could just say, well, we're just the covenant church. We'll just skip that word. But I, but I didn't. I felt the spirit say, nope, you got to say it. And so I said, yeah, it's called the Evangelical Covenant Church. And his face just shut off, changed, conversation done. Like he was stoked that I was a pastor. But when I said evangelical, the conversation was over. Okay. Because the evangelical church in America, right now, when people hear that, they don't hear Jesus' love. They don't hear justice. They don't hear care for the marginalized, the oppressed, the homeless, the poor. They don't hear that, right? The evangelical church in this, witness, in this, in this country has been hijacked 
and it's been hijacked by Christian nationalism, by bigotry, by hatred, right? That's what people, that's what he heard. That's what he saw in his face. And I was like, man, I got to say this. And for example, just, just for the numbers, and we have some number people out here. I know some number crunchers. I love you. I'm not one of you, but I love you. In 2021, a Pew Research study showed that American churches, the most affluent, richest churches in the world, give away less than 1% of our budgets to the poor. If we think Amos would have anything different to say to the American church, we are kidding ourselves, church. We're kidding ourselves. And also... Some, some people are like, oh, well, Kyle, that's just the Old Testament. You're just talking about Amos and Israel, right? Well, there was this dude we follow. His name's Jesus, okay? And can anybody tell me where Jesus in all the Gospels got the most upset? Where do you get the most upset? Shout it out. The temple, right? And why? The money changers. Oh, okay. So Jesus cares about this too. The people at the temple were stealing from the poor. They were charging an arm and a leg for people to be able to faithfully worship. And we see Jesus enraged, flipping tables. So this is, this is a God. It's not just Amos. Jesus that despises this worship. How we live and how we worship are inextricably connected. Okay, so let me tell you a little story. Just calm down here for a second. Let me get on fire. Okay, so... When I was, uh, when I was in high school, I used to lead worship all over Denver, Colorado, just at all like the, you know, big conferences and 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 people, great stuff. And it was awesome. Um, but, you know, I knew what I was doing. I was, I was kind of a big deal, right? Like I was like, I know what the right chords are to play and the right things to sing. And this is, yeah, this is good. Like people, people liked it. But, I wasn't living in a way that my life actually matched up with that worship, right? I wasn't. I was going to parties on the weekend. And funny enough, I wasn't drinking, right? I was following the letter of the law, but I wasn't, I shouldn't have been at those parties. And I was battling with addiction and, and I've mentioned before here with suicide that was struggling with that. And I told nobody, right? This is just internal inside of me, right? My life did not line up with my worship and with leading worship. So I went to college. I went to Vanguard University. Let's go, Vanguard. Love Vanguard. Woo! My wife went there. A couple people like it. Awesome. Love you, Vanguard. <laughs> Send that to the alumni. They'll love it. Um, but I went to college, and like like I said, I was leading worship for like 15, 20,000 people, giant events. And I tried everything I could to lead worship, and nobody would ask me to lead worship. Not a, Not a soul. And it was weird because... You know, I, got, I was the head of the barbershop quartet. I was the, the the lead tenor in the concert choir as a freshman. Like, I was like, I had a band. And I had everything, music, all of it. But nobody <laughs> asked me to lead worship. And so I was praying one day, and, you know, which was rare for me at that time. But I was praying, and I said, God, why, why, why can't I lead worship? I want to lead worship here. And God, I'll never forget. It was like an instant. Like, God was like, oh, I've been waiting. I've been waiting to tell you this, Kyle. Thank you for asking me. And God just said, Kyle, I have blinded them to you because you didn't respect it. I have blinded them to you because you didn't respect it. Man, I heard that and I knew, boom, that conviction, right? It was instantly true. I knew it. So no one would notice me. And this lasted all the way until my junior year. And then in that fall, I was going on a study abroad trip with Joanna. And we were, man, it was going to be awesome. We were so excited. But then the leader sent out an email that was like, hey, would somebody bring a guitar, you know, and lead these 20 people in worship? 
And I was like, no way, no shot, not happening. <laughs> like, I'm not schlepping a guitar across the continent of Europe for 20 people, right? Not going not gonna to do it. This is not 20,000, this is 20 people. And then God said to me in this still small voice, he said, Kyle, this is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your chance to carry this and serve and lay down your cross and follow me. Okay, okay, God. So I emailed the professor back. I said, okay, I'll bring the guitar. And that thing was a bigger pain in the butt than you all, like, than I imagine or you could imagine. Like, do not do that. It was awful. Right? But at the same time, God let me lead some of the most incredible worship on that trip that I ever got to lead in my life. And uh, one, one experience, if you just give me a second, was we were in Florence. If you've been to Florence, it's amazing, right? It's just every street's so beautiful. And we're in the, the plaza right in front of, like, the piazza, um, the Palazzo Vecchio, right? The Vecchio Palace. And so I brought the guitar. I'm like, let's just do worship here. Like, ah, we, we couldn't find a space. Let's just do it here. So I just start singing, how great is our God? And there was 20 of us. And then by the end of like chorus one, there was like 50 of us. And I was like, whoa. And then by the end of like chorus two, there was more people than I could count. And then by the end of that chorus and the bridge, there was more languages than I could count. And it was every tribe, tongue, and nation in the, in the palazzo right there in the, in the plaza singing, how great is our God, name above all names. We talk about heaven, right? An image is imprinted in my brain of heaven. And that's how God started this for me. That's how God brought me back. And that's how I've been leading worship ever since. And now I'm a worship pastor and 15 years of worship up here in the Northwest. And wow. But it started with obedience. And it started with my life finally matching up with my worship. Thank you. Amen. I appreciate that. But that's what, again, that's what we find in this passage, right? So God says, take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. If we don't partner with the justice of God and live righteously, our worship is not pleasing to God. So let's, let's just take, let's just take a little, little message here, a couple lessons here from Amos. And first, I think there's three things we can take in that our lives are worship, right? We're going back to that, that, that Professor Kyle definition that uh, worship is a posture that orients glory to God. We're created to bring glory to God. And when we do that, that we, we live into the meaning of life and why we were created, right? That's wholeness. That's goodness. But it's not just what we do here, right? Our lives are worship. And second... God's kingdom is just. Now there's this there's this fancy word, and it's the word is hendiades. There we go, Professor Kyle. That's the last one. I promise, hendiades. But in the Bible, when you see two words that are together, always that's what we're talking about. It's a hendiades. So this word is justice and righteousness. They get paired together. So in English, in English, a hendiades is like like nice and warm, right? So when you say Mark's nice, that just means Mark's nice. And this room is warm. This It's warm. But if I say it's nice and warm, what does that mean? It means, wow, it's cozy. It's probably a campfire going. There's some cocoa on the stove, right? It's like it's, it's snowing outside. It's nice and warm in here, right? The two words together mean a lot more than what they just are separately. And so those two words, justice and righteousness, they're talking about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God... Um, we see in the Gospels that Jesus, Jesus says the word church twice in the Gospels. All four. All four Gospels. 
He says the kingdom, the kingdom of God, 90 times. The kingdom of God is about justice and righteousness here and now and in eternity, right? It's a redeemed order that we're called to live into. And lastly, we're called to live righteously, right? So we're called to live righteously. That means we're, li- we're living in accordance with that kingdom of God, not just spiritually, but physically, meeting the needs of the hungry, the oppressed, the poor, the marginalized right now and in eternity. That's what Jesus came to bring. That's the kingdom. That's what Jesus, Jesus calls us to. And there's this amazing quote from G.K. Beale that illustrates this, illustrates this, and it says, We become what we behold. And as, as Christians, I think we can change this and say, We become what we worship. We become what we worship. Are we being discipled, becoming more Christ-like as we worship Jesus? Or are we worshiping something else? Are we worshiping a God of our own making as the Israelites were? So, what in your life isn't worshiping God? Maybe, like me, it's your pride. Maybe it's your pride. Maybe it's an addiction. It could be a lie that you're too scared to tell anybody and that that shame is holding deep inside of you. Please, if that's you today, come. Be prayed for. Talk to us. We are here. I've been there. You heard me. It could be the way that you're dehumanizing people, right? It could be the posts that you're putting online, right? It could be. That could be not worshiping God. What in our lives isn't worshiping God? And how is God calling us to partner with his kingdom, with his justice? Maybe maybe it's sponsoring a child. Maybe it's serving at a homeless ministry and actually caring for those people and, and giving them human dignity and honoring that. It could be, it could be you know, partnering with our, some of our mission partners uh, across seas to actually you know, set real captives free. There are still slaves in this world right now. Right? On, on the American church's watch. It's probably giving more than 1% to the poor. It might even just be not responding to that angry political comment. And being like, nope, not going to do that. That's not it. How is God calling you personally, right now, in that conviction? That still small voice that came to me and said, Kyle, your life doesn't line up with this. You're not honoring it. What's God saying to you right now? You see, because God wants our worship. He does. He wants our worship. What we do in this space and what we do outside of here, God wants our worship. But even more than that, God wants our lives. He wants our lives. He wants us to take up our cross and follow him. He wants our service. He wants our servant hearts. So let's, let's pray today and, just, and let's, let's consider that right now together. Jesus, Lord, we come before you, God, and we thank you for this word from Amos, God. We thank you for, even though it is harsh, God, God, that it is prophetic, that it speaks to us today, God, that we live in houses of hewn stone, God, with vineyards, but you're calling us, God, you're calling us to step alongside you with the marginalized, with the poor, with the oppressed. God, you are calling us to better, to deeper, to faith. God, may the worship of Pine Lake Covenant extend outside of these walls. God, may this be a place that people come and say, that that place, they take care of the least of these. God, would your witness extend outside these walls? Would the name Jesus be lifted high in here and outside of here, God? May we become people who look more and more and more like your son, God.
So God, we, we give you this time. We pray over this communion time, God. Make it a, a time for us, Lord, that's healing. God, that could be convicting. But God, that ultimately is redeeming. And we give you this space. In Jesus' name, amen.